to those who are lost, to those who are searching, to those who are confused. There is an answer. He who lacks motivation does so because he does not know that which is of greatest value in this life. He cannot see that one thing is infinitely valuable and all other things are of no value in comparison. He cannot see that which he needs desperately to see. He's bringing and spending so much of his effort spinning his wheels, but he cannot see that which he most desperately needs to see. And he cannot see because he is striving to do all things on his own, by his own power, by his own will, by his own strength and mindset, instead of surrender to the one who is of infinite worth. Welcome to an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. Good morning, everyone. Today we will be in Genesis and flipping through multiple passages in the first half of Genesis together. And this is a time to reflect on the first half of Genesis and the overarching story that God is showing to all of mankind. This is his testimony to all of us and to all of the world about him about God, about his glory, about his plan, his organization, his law, his structure. Let's open in prayer and then we will be starting in Genesis 1. To the one immortal and invisible, the one who is magnificent, and has full dominion over all things. To you be glory and honor. To you be the power and the praise. To you be all worship on the hearts of your people. In all of the world, God, in all of creation that you have made, the trees are doing what you have created them to do. The animals are doing 
what you have created them to do. May the hearts of your people recognize this and also do what we were created to do. How much more so for us. We pray this all in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. You were not created for nothing. Your life is not devoid of meaning. You have a purpose on this earth, and it is very specific. Many of us know this, but some people are struggling right now. And I would argue that to some extent, each one of us is struggling in some area of our life. And sometimes you get so downtrodden and you get so burdened by the things of this world that you start to wonder if your life has meaning. You start to wonder if you're missing your purpose. That you have a purpose on this earth. And you were created. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. In Genesis 1, 26, he says, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing, even the creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Two sexes, male and female. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust in Genesis 2, starting in verse 7. He formed the man from dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. Why? To work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said in Genesis 2, starting at verse 18, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And in verse 21, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall what? Hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. 
hold fast. Here in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, with just these excerpts, we see that the law is a good thing. The multiple laws or the law singular as a collective is a good thing. And you cannot profess faith in God and have no regard for the law because God created the law. God created laws. God created commands, commandments. God brought order where there was not order. Throughout the story of Genesis 1, throughout the timeline of Genesis 1, throughout the organization of Genesis 1, in the days of creation, God was establishing he is a God of order. That there is a law and there is order under God. And this is a good thing. That out of darkness, God creates light. In Genesis 1 verse 3, or your translation may say, out of chaos, he brought forth light. Because God believes in the law, because God created the law. Therefore, we were created to submit ourselves to God and to obey the law. Adam and Eve were created by God. And they weren't just created. And then left into themselves as if they were given the freedom to do whatever they wanted at any given time with no authority, no dominion, no consequences, no instruction whatsoever. No, that's not it. Adam and Eve were created by God. And because they were created by God, who made them in his image, after his likeness, because God is purpose-filled, because God is intention-filled, so too are man. So too is his charge for mankind. Adam and Eve are given an assignment by God to have dominion over the creation. They're given commandments by God regarding boundaries of what to do and also what was forbidden to do. Then in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve chose to disobey God by listening to another voice. Someone outside the realm of law and order and creation and all things. This voice accused God of not being good, of not being truthful. And it was actually Satan's voice who was not being good and not being truthful. But the crux of the matter is Adam and Eve chose to follow Satan instead of God. So God cursed all three of them. God cursed Satan and Adam and Eve, and banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, which had been their home, which had been where they walked and talked with God. Physically, tangibly, they knew God. 
They knew God in the face-to-face, in the shoulder-to-shoulder. It says that they heard God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and Eve had this wondrous relationship with God. But they chose to rebel against him and to believe a lie instead of the truth. Satan's name means deceiver. That is all he is known for. That is what he does. He deceives the eyes and the ears and the hearts and the minds of people to turn them against God, to get them to turn their back on God, to turn away from God so that their eyes are not fixed on the one who gives them all purpose and meaning, who is the God of light and of life, and to turn away and instead look upon darkness and instead look upon evil and instead look upon the desires of the flesh, which are in opposition to God and who he is. And because the law is good, there is a direct consequence for disobeying God's law. Adam and Eve witnessed that consequence quite abruptly. This disturbed their entire existence. How so? They didn't know pain. No longer would they be without pain. They didn't know shame. No longer would they be without shame. No longer would they know life without strife and without jealousy. That's part of the curse to Eve. No longer would growing food be easy. This was the curse toward Adam. Instead, food... The growth, the growth process, the gathering process, it would be painful to Adam. God says in Genesis 3, verse 17, and verse 19 says, Adam would eat bread by the sweat of his face, which is a descriptor for out of great toil. It would cause him great toil to bring it forth. Whereas in the Garden of Eden, God had provided everything. Yes, they were to work and to keep the garden, but it was a pleasure. It was a delight. Or poignantly, no longer would God walk among them on earth. And finally, no longer would they be without death. In fact, later on, their firstborn son, Cain, would murder their secondborn son, Abel. This rebellion against God's law in Genesis 3 created a massive problem on this earth. Do you see how this world is so awry from its order? From organization, from structure, from law? The lawless acts of man have come to a new level. Yes, there have been different time periods in mankind's history where the lawlessness has been so great that it's been even worse than today. Can you believe it? Even worse than today. But so too today has even truth, truth, been turned on its head in the eyes of culture, in the eyes of the pagan world. There was another time when lawlessness was even worse than today. 
In Genesis 6, verse 5, the Bible says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Hmm. In every generation, it seems that man is on the search for meaning. You remember hearing that when, I remember hearing that when I was little. I remember hearing that in school. And I still read it in the magazines at the checkout in the, in the grocery store today. You hear about it in culture once in a while. When, when our culture is not pushing even that, even the purpose of life, even the meaning of life, which is the most basic question about mankind. When they're not pushing that to the back shelves, then it's still a question that they're asking. Even after the thousands of years of the genealogies of man, they're still asking, what is the meaning of life? But I think the real question is, is mankind seeking the meaning of life in the eyes of God who created all things? Or instead, seeking the meaning of life from a pagan mindset, which denies the existence and authority of God. Because if it is in the eyes of God who created all things, he has already proclaimed to all mankind on earth, not only his existence and his authority, but also his order of creation. And Genesis 1.27 that mankind is made in God's image and after his likeness, and that mankind is to have dominion and to be fruitful. God has specifically given us our purpose and our meaning. And Romans 1 says that the invisible attributes of God, his acts of creation, testify that he exists so that all men are without excuse, i.e. all men are without excuse in denying or rebelling or opposing him. And my, how they try to oppose him. My, how they try to deny him. Whether you're watching the news, whether you're watching a movie out of the Hollywood industry or TV shows, much of what comes from your television set or your computer screen does not even acknowledge God, let alone worship him or glorify him. In fact, it pushes him to the very back page, if at all. To the very smallest mention, if at all. Or it mentions him in a mocking tone in a belittling tone. Because 
The pagan world has no regard for God. They have no regard for God. They have no room for God. They have no desire for God. They don't want to surrender to anyone else. And if God says, I am God, I am the authority, I have full dominion. All of creation is under my authority and my dominion. That would require them to surrender to him. And they will not. And they do not. But there is still time for them to do so. And oh, that they would. Oh, that they would see God for who he is. Oh, that they would see themselves for who they are. That they would see their desperate state. That like those that Jesus dined with in public, that those that, the, that he spoke with on the street, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sinners, who acknowledged that they were sinners. That's the first step. You have to acknowledge that you're a sinner to have the right posture before a holy God. Oh, that they would repent and believe him. If they're still alive on earth, then there is still time. But every person on earth was created for a reason. And the purpose of your life on earth, your life, every single one of your lives, listening, and my life is to glorify God. Part of God's charge to us in the order of creation is to be fruitful. What does it mean to be fruitful? To be fruitful doesn't mean that your life is devoid of meaning. In fact, it means quite the opposite, that your life is abundantly full of meaning. You have a great charge to do. I have a great charge to do. This is to glorify God with our life to glorify God with our mind and the way that we think, to glorify God with our words and the words that we speak, to glorify God with our body. Oh, that we would glorify God with our bodies. To do good works. We don't do good works as to earn our salvation because the scripture is clear. We cannot do that. God has already done all of the work on our behalf. But he has saved us now unto good works. That in doing good, in doing God-glorifying things, in speaking God-glorifying words, we are making much of God in this world. And that is what he has called us to. And to bring goodwill to our fellow man. This is not just a statement during the holidays, at Christmas time, at the end of the year, we are to do goodwill unto men every single day of our lives on earth because this testifies to God's love for them. And in speaking the gospel and speaking about God and God's glory, we are testifying to the world about God. But, if it is that they are searching for the elusive meaning of life, apart any acknowledgement of God, then what they are searching for is a futile chasing after the wind. As that mentioned in the book of Ecclesiastes, 
And as told in the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel was in direct opposition to God's command. God had commanded after the flood, mankind was to be fruitful again, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Stretch out to the far reaches of the earth. And instead, the residents of Babel said, in Genesis 11, verse 4, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. In the heavens. That wasn't coincidence that they mentioned that. It was a challenge unto God. And they said, And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. See, their desire was themselves. Their desire was their own pride. God had issued a command, and they were doing the opposite. God comes down to physically look at the Tower of Babel and the hearts of the men and the women in that city. God confuses their language so that they cannot even speak to each other, let alone build a tower in opposition to God. And God, Scripture says, disperses them over the face of the whole earth. When they disobeyed God's command, God intervened, stopped their tower of opposition, and God essentially forced them to obey his command. It never goes well when mankind opposes God. It never goes well when an individual in his or her own heart opposes God, disobeys God, makes no regard for God's voice or God's law. If you stumble around in darkness looking for meaning and purpose, think about it when you're in your house, but pretend that there's nothing in your house or nothing in a building. Shut the lights off, walk in. If you stumble around in darkness looking for these things, when you cannot see anything and you cannot find anything, how would you find any meaning or any purpose, let alone anything else? So too, if you reject the only God who created and sustains all things at all times, every single second, every single day, and you try to look for the origin of man, or any lasting fulfillment or purpose, how would you expect to find it? You shall not. Because God is the creator. Because God is the sustainer. Because God is the one who has full dominion at all times. All things were made by God and are made for God. And while mankind rebels against God, like Adam and Eve did in Genesis 3, and listens to other voices, not God's voice, other voices, and then searches in the darkness for everything but God, there is a consequence to that rebellion as well. In Genesis chapters 6 and 7, God recognized Noah 
and his family as being the only family left on earth who acknowledged God and had a personal relationship with him. Therefore, God destroyed every other human and animal and bird on earth in a global flood. And for them, in an act of salvation, God saved all eight members of his family who were on board the ark. Look at how his family responded. They built the ark in faith, which took a very long time. They entered the ark in faith before the floodwaters started on the earth. It says God closed them in before the floodwaters came on the earth. And then they waited for over one year inside of this ark in faith. And then God receded the floodwaters from the earth and Noah and his family returned onto dry land. And it says God blessed them. God had a purpose and God had a meaning and God had relationship for mankind. Mankind pushed God away, but Noah and his family embraced God. They surrendered to God. They desired to be with God, to be in relationship with God, to walk with God. Scripture says that Noah was a blameless man in his generation. That does not mean that he was without sin. It means that his pursuit was righteousness, a right relationship with God. Surrendering himself, surrendering his pride, and glorifying God. For many weeks, we've talked about the story of Abram become Abraham. And back in Genesis 12, God called Abraham out from obscurity, out from a pagan people, from a world which has no acknowledgement of God, no worship of God, no recognition of God. And God calls him out from the world and calls him into relationship with himself. And Abram's world utterly and completely changed when God did that. And God said that through Abram would all the families of the earth be blessed. Genesis 12, verse 3. God made Abram wait for that which he greatly desired on this earth. He was married and he and his wife, Sarai, become Sarah, greatly desired a child. They desired a child. And Abram waited. And then God brought them the child that God had promised. And after God had brought them the long-awaited child of the promise, God then puts Abraham's faith in God to the test. Would Abraham obey God in giving up that which he had greatly desired on this earth? his child. And Abraham was proven faithful. 
God had reiterated over and over again to his people that God wanted to be in a covenant relationship with those that he had called to himself. With those that he had called out from this world. Noah, Abraham, even Adam at the beginning. These just the first examples. Their families, their family line And then this continues forward past Genesis all the way to the Messiah and to present day. And God had been faithful and God is faithful today and God will always be faithful. We see that as a constant throughout the Holy Bible, throughout the Holy Scriptures, God is faithful. And God's desire for them And God's desire for us is to be faithful to him. And God calls each one of us out from this world, out from a pagan world, out from a sin-filled world, and instead into a personal relationship with him. To live a God-glorifying life a fruitful life. What does it mean to be fruitful? Well, you need to read it in God's word. What does God command? What does God value? What are the fruits of the spirit? To do good works. To do good for our fellow man so that they can see God's love to them. And also for us to be completely changed by God to surrender to him, to surrender our selfish desires, deny those and surrender that to him and to make much of what he commands for us instead, to pursue that which God commands for us instead, so that by our faith and by our works, it will confirm our love for him. God says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. It's one thing to say it, and it's another thing to do it. And you don't just do it, you also say it. But you don't just say it, you also do it. They're married. They're together. It's a confirmation of how you feel. It's like telling someone that you love them without showing them also that you love them. And when God calls us, to himself. God also enables us with his strength, with his spirit to live for him. When he calls us to do something, he will also provide for us. Whatever God calls you to do in your life, he's going to give you the strength and the means and the provision to do it. Because Psalm 23, the Lord is your shepherd. The Lord will lead you and he will provide. The Lord will guard you and he will protect you. He will feed you. He will clothe you. When he leads, we can follow because he is good. When he leads, we can follow because we know he is always faithful. And the he who said it is true. 
that he who said it will never leave us or forsake us. Like other people we have known in our life, God will never leave us or forsake us. That he will carry us on to good works, to the day of completion, the day of Christ Jesus our Lord when he returns. That he who has called us is faithful to do it. God has given us our meaning and our purpose on earth. And this is to glorify him, to make much of him, not to chase the things of this world so as to measure ourself in comparison with others regarding the things of this world. No, that is futile, that is meaningless, that has zero value. Not even to measure ourselves in the eyes of another human on this earth, that is of zero value. Our meaning and our purpose is to surrender our rights to ourselves, surrender our pride, to lay it down, to pick up God's word and say, God, that which you define as good, I want to do. That which you define as holy is what I want to pursue. That which is of greatest value on this earth. I want to leave all and I want to purchase that field because God alone is our greatest treasure and all other treasures are not really treasures at all. Let's pray. To the God of life, the God of light, the one who has created all things, including mankind, the one who has specifically created mankind in your image and in your likeness. May you receive all the glory. May the people on earth repent of their sin, repent of our sin and glorify you. that all of the earth is to glorify you. The earth was created to glorify you. Mankind was created to glorify you and to worship you as God on this earth and throughout all of known creation and to testify that you are God to all of creation, to the one who is worthy and the one alone. May we, your people, surrender all things to make much of you, to love you and adore you in both faith and in works. We pray all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Join me next time as we continue in Genesis 23.